Welcome to the Brand Ambassadors, your wide-angle look at the field of PR and what it means for your company. Your host is Merritt Hamilton Allen with co-host Gary Potterfield. Every firm has a compelling narrative that sets them apart from the crowd. In your company, you can use your own background and storytelling to your advantage as well as that of your business. Now, here are your hosts, Merritt Hamilton-Allen and Gary Potterfield. Good morning. I'm Merritt Hamilton-Allen, joined by Gary Potterfield, and welcome to the Brand Ambassadors. Gary, how are you doing today? Doing great, Merritt. And you? Uh, very well, and I'm, uh, I'm eager to dive into this week's topic, which is data and measurement. And I think often public relations practitioners uh, want to shy away from that for a number of reasons. One, um, for whatever reason, a large number of uh, PR practitioners did very badly in university math courses, and there's a fear of numbers. Uh, although uh, I always felt like when I was taking statistics, it was the perfect math for me, because statistics is really the PR of numbers. You take a data set and learn how to massage it to give you the results, uh, to, to point you to results, uh, that you want to see. But thinking about just day-to-day at Fox Optima, Gary, how do you think we measure what we do? Well, I mean, I, I don't know that we do. Uh, this is a good episode for us because um, uh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, right. certainly, I, mean, I think sometimes the, measurement is simply getting paid. <laughs> well, that, yeah, well, that is true. I was going to say that um, you, you mentioned uh, fear of numbers. I think for PR practitioners, often it's fear of answers. <laughs> I think that's what it is. Yeah. You, yeah, you don't want to know. You don't want to yeah. know. And that's, yeah, I, I, some of our government clients in the past, um, and even when I was, when we were in in, uh, in government ourselves, you know, you look at some of the surveys that were done that, were, first of all, weren't particularly, um, I guess, scientific. And secondly, um, you know, they didn't, they asked questions that where the answer was predetermined almost and, and so kind of useless. Right, well, I know of at least um, one uh, uh, research initiative we embarked on for a government client. And after putting together a 35-page document, which included focus group survey um, and uh, strategy building points, I think it went into a desk drawer for uh, 10 years, and then the client moved buildings, and it got shredded. <laughs> Well, you know, everyone always says they. Oh, we've got a survey. We've got to find out what the, you know, what, you know what the uh, if it's a, a government agency, you know, what either what the uh, what the workforce or somebody else is looking for. Uh, try, but I don't know that they really, really, really feel that way. And well, I also there, think well, that there's, um, you know, how do we write the survey so we get the answers we want to hear? Right. How much do you love us? Do you yeah, love, I mean, and, you, and every survey participant can see right away whether this is a survey that actually wants to uh, pull out real data or simply wants them to echo um, a theme that uh, the organization wants to perpetuate. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, certainly for nonprofit organizations, um, when, when you don't have the trigger, the information you need based on, and you mentioned at the beginning, you know, it, you know the, 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 we, we determine things, did we get paid? Uh, and that's what happens in the commercial world. Did we get paid, or will we continue to get paid, or will the amount we get paid increase or decrease? And uh, government agencies and nonprofits, they don't have that. And so that information of a survey is that much more important, I would think, because they're not getting the feedback via the buy decision uh, from from a consumer. 
Right, right. And also, I, I, I want to go back to your point where you talked about being afraid of answers. Um, that, uh, that really resounds uh, because, well, uh, you know, a good public affairs campaign isn't going to fix a completely broken organization if you don't acknowledge uh, what isn't working and try to address it in some, with some sort of meaningful communication. And that communication needs to be backed up by actions. Um, uh, you're uh, really, you're, you're truly spinning your wheels. Yeah, and I, it'd, it'd be useful to, and that, that has a lot of impacts, not just on, you know, on what it is you're doing for whoever you're doing it for, um, but just on the morale of those working with you. I mean, if, you, if, you, if you're coming in every day and you don't know if this is working or not, or if you're doing the right thing, uh, it can it can be a real downer over time, and maybe you're not even conscious of it, but you certainly feel it in organizations if they're they're doing work. And I, I just think, yeah, it's they're, they're putting the blinders on doesn't do you any good. Absolutely, and uh, you know, and it really starts with a focus on the outcome you want. Uh, if you're going to embark on a communication campaign, on a brand campaign, what do you want to happen? What does success look like? Right, you I think, uh, and I think sometimes um, they, some of the mistakes that I've seen is where the question is at a too low of a level. It needs to go higher. In other words, let's say you have product X, and you're going, well, let's ask questions about product X and how we can improve product X. Well, maybe the real question is, do we need a product X, or is it something else we need? What is it we really need to know? Um, and sometimes they don't want to ask that, people don't want to ask that question, or don't think to ask that question. Well, and, um, just, um, uh, this, this show isn't about the campaign, but um, as you know, Gary, I am uh, running for the state legislature in New Mexico. And when I was putting together my platform, um, you know, I wrote out in very precise, what I thought were technically perfect terms, what were, was important to me. And then I sat down with a group of folks uh, who live in the district and said, what do you think? And they just started lining stuff out. And ah. uh, because there, you know, a state legislature can only do very specific things. And when I'm looking at a single district and uh, uh, a rural district, our issues are pretty specific. So no matter what I think of uh, international tariffs or the defense budget, it has almost no impact on, you know, House District 22 in New Mexico. So I really had to go back and realize, okay, um, what, what is a good outcome for my district um, if I'm successful in this campaign and I'm serving in the legislature? And it was, it was about a two-week process for me. And, uh, it, you know, it, it just goes to show you, you um, should never stop getting feedback. You should never stop uh, researching uh, because going on what you think you know uh, in your head, uh, it's too isolated. So, so when, was that a, uh, a an encouraging or a discouraging situation? In other words, when you're going to go in, you're going to have and your all your idealism merit, and you have plenty of it, and that's a great thing. Uh, and you go in with that, and then you realize, boy, all I'm really trying to figure out is if we need two or three dog catchers. I mean, is that depressing or is that encouraging to you? I found it encouraging because. Uh, there are some uh, wonderful neighbors uh, here who want to help me. And so I looked at it as, oh, my gosh, these people are taking two hours out of, out of their day to sit down and, uh, you know, talk through water law with me. I mean, 
that, that uh, I found that very encouraging because, uh, you know, I, I think one thing we've learned as uh, we go forward as entrepreneurs is if you don't have a certain sense of humility um, and openness to uh, criticism, uh, you're going to go nowhere. Yeah, if you don't have that humility, don't worry. The uh, business world will will beat it into you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it's it's been interesting, kind of building a brand around the campaign, and then uh, I went to a um, uh, uh, organization, uh, uh, a uh, nonprofit political organization's uh, weekly luncheon uh, yesterday, and got a completely different perspective because none of these people lived in my district and all had a very specific uh, political worldview. And so um, uh, I got feedback. I took some notes. People came up and uh, uh, gave me more advice on the way out. And I just thought this was so great that there are uh, people who uh, get together on a regular basis and just want to help. Yeah. And discuss um, ideas and help you refine your ideas. That's great. So, so now you know a lot more about water law, huh? Oh my goodness! Yes. Uh, let's, let's just say um, uh, creating new developments in the desert is no small thing in 2018. All you need is a divining rod. <laughs> maybe, maybe I need to add that to my campaign—a witching rod for every household. <laughs> there you go. That's perfect. So, oh my goodness! Uh, but. Uh, that that was enough of a, a personal tangent. I really want to get back to our guest. Uh, just one of my favorite people, uh, personally and professionally, Kim Marks Malone. Uh, she uh, uh, is a professor at the University of Memphis, and she is the uh, faculty advisor for the school's uh, uh, student-run PR firm. And uh, she just uh, spent the previous semester uh, teaching survey and uh, data. So I uh, at least for you and me, Gary, we old folks will find out what the young kids are learning. That's right. And, and, and yeah, how they're doing it. I mean, how are they filling out those paper surveys? That's what I want to know, doggone it. And when do they, where do they mail them to? Which, which, you know, which rural district, uh, you know, mailbox or whatever are they sending them but into? I always That's love what... talking to Kim because, I mean, she is pretty much building the workforce we're looking at in the next five to 10 years. And so her insights are, are always fantastic. And of course, um, after uh, an, uh, one quick aberration into the Army, she is, uh, does come from the Navy Public Affairs community. She and I were on the news desk together. Uh, but she also uh, led the public affairs team on the uh, USS Nimitz Carrier Strike Group. Uh, and in her last tour, uh, commanded the Navy Office of Community Outreach, which is the only grassroots-level public affairs command in the Navy. And really, I think... Uh, the most sophisticated with regard to the use uh, of data uh, uh, to build campaigns. So See, there's um, your there's your navy bias coming through again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is going to be good. Yeah. I was going to say, what do you mean, Master Chief Potterfield? What, <laughs> what navy bias? <laughs> Well, um, um, we are going to have Kim on. We had her in, in in December. You were talking about jo- talking about um, you know the the workforce, and that's what we had her on for before talking about the uh, where the jobs are. And now we get to see what her what she and her uh, students have uh, have come up with with regard to surveys and data. Uh, data. And um, so that's going to be good. So we have uh, we have um, Kim Marks Malone coming up in just a few minutes on the Brand Ambassadors. And uh, folks, uh, give us a call at 866-472-5790 or send us an email at brand.ambassadors 
at VoxOptima.com so you can get in on this conversation about uh, data and uh, surveys, and we'll be right back in a couple of minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When business people think PR, they usually think spin, good, bad, or indifferent. But spin without a strategy gets you nowhere but lighter in the wallet. At Vox Optima, our outcome-based communication is about results, not the ride. You're focused on your bottom line goals, and so are we. From strategic planning to creative design and production, Vox Optima has experts ready to support your requirements today. Also look to Vox Optima for crisis communication, media training, and issue management. Vox Optima is a service-disabled veteran and a woman-owned business with consultants working from coast to coast. Vox Optima ties PR strategy and every last communication product to what your organization needs to be successful. At Vox Optima, you won't be spinning your wheels. You'll be getting results. Strategy, not spin. To make our results work for you, visit VoxOptima.com. That's VoxOptima.com. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K., on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to the brand ambassadors to reach our program today please call in to 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 or send an email with questions or comments to brand.ambassadors at voxoptima.com now back to this week's program Welcome back to the Brand Ambassadors. I'm Merritt Hamilton Allen, joined by Gary Potterfield, and we have uh, joining us uh, today Kim Marks Malone, a professor of uh, public relations and journalism at the University of Memphis. Kim, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Glad to be here. So we're talking about data, and if uh, you're advising uh, yours, uh, your student PR firm, if you're advising clients, um, when it comes to uh, gathering data for your brand, where do you start? Where do we start? That's a good question, Merrick, because a lot of them just want to dive right in and they already have all the questions that they want to ask and they, they think it's just as simple as, I'm going to tell you what I want to know and you're going to write down these questions and you're going to send it out on the internet and we're going to get all these responses back. And what they're really looking for at that point is confirmation of what they believe or what they think is going to happen. Uh, so I always have to tell them to take a breath, step back, 
Um, and first we have to have a conversation and, and figure out, you know, what are you trying to measure? What are you trying to get at? Are you trying to see what what people think about your brand? Do you need some brand? What's the brand awareness? Are you trying to see if there's a problem you need to solve? Um, are you just trying to get a feel for what the issues are or what people are talking about about your brand? So we always have a meeting and sit down and, and try and hammer those things out. And then we decide, you know, is this something we should do a survey for? Um, is it something we could just do focus groups on? Is it something we even maybe go a whole different direction and just do interviews? Um, and then, of course, we always ask them, what's your budget? Because it's not a cheap thing, some of these uh, survey methods and some of the research you do. Um, it's not cheap sometimes. It takes a lot of time and effort. Well, yeah, that's probably uh, surprising to the world because they think because they think all they have to do is just hop on SurveyMonkey and you're and you're done. I mean, what what are the different ways uh, that people today, Kim, can um, can do surveys and get data? Well, of course, SurveyMonkey and those those online tools like that are the most popular, and and they're pretty inexpensive relatively. Um, very unscientific if you don't know what you're doing, so a lot of folks just do it themselves. Um, so there's always that route. Uh, you can also, I mean, you can go old-fashioned and do phone surveys. Uh, the technology today for, for the roto-dialing is for pulling random numbers um, and including cell phones, unfortunately, for those of us that don't like to get phone calls about surveys on our cell phones, um, has really come a long way. Um, you could even go really old school, and I heard you talking earlier, Gary, about, you know, where do I, where do I fill in, how do I fill in the box, and where do I mail it to? Um, you could even do mail-in surveys still. And then uh, a lot of folks like to do focus groups either in person, or you could actually do them online in, using all sorts of technologies through Facebook or Skype, all sorts of uh, chat options for doing focus groups. You know, I was able to get, um, just uh, using um, the Facebook Messenger app, I basically reached out to teachers across the state who I personally went to grade school with and um, just started a conversation and try and uh, ping them every couple weeks or so as I'm having uh, thoughts about education and does this even make sense and am I complete, uh, completely out of it. So it, it can be as simple as that. It can be, and it really all depends on um, what level of responses do you need back, how scientific do you want to get, do you want to have a survey that you're sure is going to be, um, it's going to be representative of your population you're sampling, do you want to be able to take those results and generalize them to the whole population, um, so if you're talking about a, an issue in New Mexico, is it something you want to be able to know that um, the people in your district feel this way, but you could also count on those results applying to maybe everybody in rural New Mexico. Um, so it really depends on you know, the level you want to get at for how much time you spend, what tools you use, and, and how much money it's going to cost you. And, so you know, one if, thing I um, want to uh, pull back on from, uh, or pull a thread on from the uh, uh, first comments you made, I think one thing that um, brands need to be aware of is that research for them is a listening effort. Yes. Yes. In fact, when I define research for my students, I tell them that research is just listening. Um, it's just being a good listener and hearing what folks are saying about you and, and really hearing it too, not just the, oh, yeah, I got it, got it, got it, but actually taking it on board and doing something with it. Because um, if you don't have that two-way communication and you don't actually act on the, the feedback you get, um, then it's pointless to even be doing the research. So if a um, an organization decides to do this, and, and, and they do decide to do it um, mostly on their own, 
uh, you know, what dangers, uh, maybe that's too strong of a word, but what, what <laughs> problems can, can, can arise from, from that, uh, trying to do it on your own that way? Well, the biggest problem is that, um, you know, you put together your survey and if you don't, if you don't think about how you're wording the questions and what questions you're asking, um, you can really, you can really just, you can get the results that you expect. Um, you know, you can have bias in the way you word the questions. Even the order you ask questions in can lead people to a predetermined answer. Um, and a lot of folks don't realize that and they don't think about that because, you know, we just don't think that way. We just ask questions. Um, so there's always that danger that you're going to end up with a result that is not really valid. Maybe it's just going to confirm what you already thought because of the way you've worded the questions. Um, you also can run the risk of, depending on what you're using the survey for, um, so if you get results and they're not valid, you, know, you could be out a lot of money or a lot of time and effort if you then march off in a direction with your campaign based on these results that weren't really very valid or reliable. Um, so you don't, you know, then you find out later on down the road that it was all built on on false, on false information and lies, and then you have to start all over again. That's probably the biggest risk folks run. And what, so what are the benefits? You know, we're, we're saying it's necessary, but um, when it comes to uh, formulating a campaign or growing a brand, um, uh, what should uh, brands be looking for from their research? Well, I mean, the number one reason why you, why you do research is to, to learn something. Like Gary said, you know, to get answers, whether you want to hear them or not. So I think anytime you're going to start out thinking about doing a campaign or launching a product or, or any endeavor, um, in the very beginning, you want to figure out what does success look like or what does it look like to solve this problem so that you can figure in how are you going to measure it and what are the tools you're going to use to measure it along the way. Um, you never want to get to the end of your campaign and then ask yourself, oh, so what are we going to measure? How are we going to tell if we succeeded or not? It's something you want to always be thinking about. Um, and the other thing I think brands need to realize, and, and just anybody who's using public relations, is that it, it's ongoing. You need to do the research and ask the questions before the campaign starts so that you know what your baseline is so that at the end of your campaign, you know if you've moved that needle or if you've seen the results that you wanted to see because of the campaign and not because of some other outlying reason that you have no idea what it is. Um, and you also need to think about doing research or doing surveys and doing the research along the way as well. So, you know, you have to do research to plan, you have to do research in the middle to kind of gauge where you're at, see if you need to make any course corrections. And then at the end, you're going to do the same research again to see if you move the needle or not. You know, um, in uh, with uh, one of our clients, and uh, we, we do digital signage support, and, and one of the things that we want to know is, you know, are well, several things, but, you know, are, is, are the employees looking at the screens to see what's there? And when they are, what are they doing with it? Are they getting the information we want? And it's such a challenge to see, because I think traditional surveys, you think, you ask them about it, and, and again, what are you really learning if they just sit there, when you, if you start right from the beginning and you say, uh, I am questioning you about our digital signage support, and they already, it's kind of, I think you're already skewed right there. So what we, one of the ideas I had, but it's so hard to do, is to say, Okay, here's what we'll do. We're going to we're going to survey people, but we're not going to ask them about the the very thing I want to know the answer to. In other words, I would say what we were saying is 
let's let's talk to them about how they get information and see if what we're trying to do with signage comes up in their answers. So uh, sometimes you kind of throw your hands up in the air and go, gosh, this is just too hard. It can be hard. And you're right, though, Gary. Um, that's a really good way to keep from causing respons- what we call response bias. Um, because if you start out asking them about the digital signage, you know, it's only natural that then they start thinking to themselves, oh, he wants to know if I'm looking at those signs. So, you know, oh, they want me to look at those signs. So, yeah, I look at those signs all the time. Um, right. But if you ask them where they get their information from, then they're going to back into it. And if they bring up the signage, then you can, you know, ask some more in-depth questions about it. But it is hard because you have to think that way. And it's not natural for most people to think that way. you just like, well, I want to know about the signs. I'm going to ask them about the signs up front. Um, so, yeah, it can be really hard. And um, some people don't see the value in it because it is so time-consuming sometimes. Well, and that, that's um, one thing um, I see is, um, is some organizations decide they want all the research to be perfect before they start communicating at all. What do you think about that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> And that's just not going to happen because a lot of times you, a lot of times you don't really have the, all the right answers. So you have to kind of start communicating and then ask the questions as you're going along and adjust course as you need to midstream. Um, you're not going to know if the communication is going to work if you don't start it. Um, but then people don't want to start it until they know that it's going to work. So it's, it can be a vicious circle. Yeah, I think uh, uh, before you came on, uh, one of the thoughts that I had, I I joked about it, but I think that um, in some organizations, there is a fear of uh, surveying because they are afraid to get the answers. And and so uh, I think there's a reluctance sometimes just to to do it because, gosh, what's this going to say to us? So do you find that uh, to be an issue sometimes? I do, because there's a big fear of, one, the unknown of what are they going to say, and then the, the second part of that is, then what are we going to do about it? Because if you never really know the problem, no one can accuse you of not acting on it or fixing it or trying to fix <laughs> it. Um, but, but once you're made aware of that problem, um, you can't just ignore it. Well, you can, but to your detriment. <laughs> so, um, so a lot of folks don't want to open up that can of worms. They're, they figure, we'll just let sleeping dogs lie and you know, we'll, we'll just play it by ear. So I think that's part of the problem. It's twofold. It's do we want to hear the answers, and then if, if we don't get the answers we want, what are we going to do about it? Right. Well, um, we're going to go to break now, and uh, we've got uh, lots more we want to talk about, about uh, using data to improve your brand and help your organization, certainly through the use of surveys. We're talking with Kim Marks Malone. And uh, if you want to join into the conversation, please give us a call at 866-472-5790. Or send us an email at brand.ambassadors at voxoptima.com. You're listening to the Brand Ambassadors, and we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. When business people think PR, they usually think spin, good, bad, or indifferent. But spin without a strategy gets you nowhere but lighter in the wallet. At Vox Optima. 
our outcome-based communication is about results, not the ride. You're focused on your bottom line goals, and so are we. From strategic planning to creative design and production, Vox Optima has experts ready to support your requirements today. Also look to Vox Optima for crisis communication, media training, and issue management. Vox Optima is a service-disabled veteran and a woman-owned business with consultants working from coast to coast. Vox Optima ties PR strategy and every last communication product to what your organization needs to be successful. At Vox Optima, you won't be spinning your wheels. You'll be getting results. Strategy, not spin. To make our results work for you, visit VoxOptima.com. That's VoxOptima.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to the brand ambassadors to reach our program today please call in to 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 or send an email with questions or comments to brand.ambassadors at voxoptima.com now back to this week's program Welcome back to the Brand Ambassadors. I'm Merritt Hamilton-Allen, joined by co-host Gary Potterfield, and our guest this week is Kim Marks Malone, um, uh, a, public, a public affairs, uh, public relations uh, expert and a professor of public relations and journalism at the University of Memphis. And we've been talking a lot about surveys, and on the break we mentioned that we could talk about surveys all day. Um, so instead of doing that, let's talk about other data that... Um, uh, can be available. Particularly, let's look at solopreneurs, startups, small businesses. Are the native analytics in social media and Google Analytics, is that good enough uh, to help um, uh, provide some information that can be turned into an actionable decision? I have such mixed feelings about this merit, but yes, it really is. If you take the time to dig into those applications, the Facebook, the Instagrams of the world, the Twitters, and um, look at the numbers that are available, the data that they give you, and really think about how you can use it. Um, I mean, honestly, if you download the data from Facebook into a spreadsheet, it's it can be so overwhelming. Um, and you really have to do a little research and think about, you know, what do I care about? What am I trying to measure? So that you don't get overwhelmed by all the columns and all the different things that you can look at in social media. Um, but no, I think, or yes, I guess, I think that 
the analytics that are available to anybody, um, you know, a solo practitioner or a small business who's doing their own social media, um, I think they're very helpful if you use them. So that makes me think that, um, um, so you've got all this data you can use. Um, it makes me wonder about um, when you make the decision to outsource um, information analysis or whether it's via survey or via something else. When you say, this is, I, yeah, I've got all this information. I just don't know what the heck to do with it. You know, when should an organization say, I'm going to, I'm going to go outside the organization to get some help, and when they do, who should they go to? Oh, my gosh. Uh, they should go to us at Box Optima. <laughs> they should go to you guys. Um, I, think, I think a lot of folks think they know what they want to do or what they want to measure and what the numbers mean when they don't. So I think anytime somebody sits down and looks at the, all that downloaded information from, say, Facebook or Twitter, um, if you find yourself really just kind of scratching your head and not understanding what you're looking at, you might want to think about outsourcing it if it's really, really important to you. Um, if you're just looking at it to see, you know, am I experiencing growth? Are my posts engaging? Am I, you know, achieving some level of engagement with my audience and growing my audience? Then, you know, you're probably fine. But if you really want to start looking at if you're running online campaigns and you're spending money on online advertising and you want to know, you know, are folks really getting to my website or is it worth my expense? You might want to think about outsourcing it to somebody who understands the numbers and can run some analytics for you. Um, you know, you may be using a statistics package or something like, I know I heard Merritt talk about taking statistics earlier um, instead of just winging it and doing it on your own. Well, and uh, 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 I should point out, because I haven't done enough shameless self-promotion on this series, um, uh, of course, Kim also works with Vox Optima, and if you are looking uh, for some specific data-driven assistance for your brand, you need to come see us. <laughs> yes, please. We, we please can help. We, we got, uh, uh, we've got the expert. Um, I, I, just how do you... Um, uh, you we, so you, you've downloaded the Facebook data into a spreadsheet. You've got columns and columns of data. Uh, how do you prioritize that to turn data into something actionable? and a decision that you uh, decide to uh, uh, embark upon for your brand? Well, if we're talking specifically about social media, um, you should never start using a social media platform without a goal or objective for the use of that platform. A lot of folks want to jump into you know, Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram, because everybody else is doing it, and I think I should be there. Um, but you're not going to be able to make good use of those numbers unless you know what you're trying to achieve with it. Um, so what is your objective? You know, what's the goal? Are you, are you really working hard to get folks, to direct folks to your website? Because then there's certain numbers that you can look at in those analytics that tell you how many people clicked on that link and actually went to your website. Then you can jump to your website and use Google Analytics to see, you know, where did they come from? Did they come from social media? How long did they stay on my page? Did they click and just go away? Um, down the rabbit hole, we can go and all that stuff. Um, so the, really the, the most important thing to know is when you look at the numbers, what was my objective? Because that's going to tell you what columns to look at. Am I trying to grow more followers? So, you know, look at your increase. Was I trying to be very engaging or was I testing out different kinds of posts to see what resonated with my customers the most or my, you know, my audience? So then you can look at the different types of posts and see like, how much engagement did they get and uh, was it effective or not and you know, adjust as needed with your content. 
I was um, uh, joking a little bit earlier about uh, the mail-in survey and all, but you're working with college students. What, Kim, are you learning uh, working with them about how um, this whole process of data uh, is, is, has changed? What, what's different now and, and what should we be looking at? Uh, what's different now is they, I don't know that any of them have ever filled out an actual survey they had to mail back in. Um, for them, it's all online. And for them, even more, it's all social media based. Um, they would much rather take a survey through, you know, that they get through Facebook. Um, and they don't really, some of my students don't really dis- differentiate in their minds through, oh, I clicked on it and it took me out to SurveyMonkey. Um, but you can also do some like Merritt was saying with Messenger, but you can actually do it on your walls and you can do it in Twitter. So they really want everything to be electronic. They want everything to be very short and sweet and to the point. Um, that, that's the key with them. None of my students want to answer, you know, 75 or 80 question surveys, and none of them want to have to to go outside of where they're getting the information. You know, if they use Facebook, they want to be getting their surveys in Facebook. Um, and believe it or not, a lot of them don't check email anymore. Um, it's a challenge for me to get them to look at their school email account. Um, they just, they're like, well, why don't, you know, we have Facebook groups for our classes now. Just put it in the Facebook group. Don't email me. <laughs> so uh, I think getting away from email and really focusing on how to use those social media platforms and those other tools that the, the youngsters, as I call them, are using is really key to us if we're going to continue to get them to respond to us and to take part in surveys. You know, it makes me think that um, uh, we sometimes talk about the the younger people, uh, their attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. I think it's actually happening to all of us because just of the nature of information. So do you find that that, the attention span um, decrease, um, is affecting the, 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 the process of getting data? I think it's affecting everything, Gary. Um, honestly, I, when I started this semester, I found some data that said that um, the average attention span of, of everybody, not just millennials or you know college kids, is less than that of a goldfish. So we're, looking like three, we're looking at three to five second attention spans right now. Um, and I can believe it dealing with my students sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, I think it is. I think you have to figure out how to... Um, you don't have the luxury of asking 10 questions about one topic. You really need to figure out and work on efficient use of your words and writing those questions that get the heart of what you want to know very quickly. Um, you don't want them to have to answer, you know, if they can answer three questions and not five, you want to go with three because that's about all they're going to have time for. I'm trying to think of those thoughtful uh, – go ahead, Merritt. As we're talking about um, uh, – uh, building in uh, survey tools in existing social media. I think one thing that's really important for brands is they have to know who their followers are and build that audience before they start surveying. They do. And they have to decide if they're on the right platform because a lot of people don't don't think about the fact that the audience they're reaching on Facebook is probably very different than the audience they're reaching on Instagram, which is very different than the audience they're going to reach on Twitter or Snapchat or whatever the latest tool is that they're getting on. Um, so they may have to change the way they do their data gathering for different platforms, depending on what audience they specifically want to reach out to. So if you have, um, so, so you um, are trying to, you, that the um, generations of your, of your audience are, are not determined. In other words, they could be anything from, uh, you know, 18 year olds to 80 year olds. You know, how do you deal with that when you're trying to gather data? 
Wow. And I deal with that all the time, it seems like. Um, you know, most brands, I'd recommend you be on more than one platform. Uh, you know, you want to be on Facebook because that's where, regardless of what people say, there's still a huge audience there. Um, they might skew a little bit older than they used to, but so you want to be on Facebook. And so you're going to think about who is normally on Facebook. If, you don't, if you're not sure who your audience is, if you can't get in there and do the analytics on your followers and see their, their age ranges and their um, their gender and all that, um, then just do a general audience. Now, okay, I know that Facebook users skew a little bit older, so maybe I'm going to word my questions and think about what I want to know from folks that like my brand that are in that age range. And it's also typically a lot of women unless you focus on groups and users that are not. You know, and go into Instagram and think about who's on Instagram. If I'm on Instagram and I don't have a big following yet, you know, how am I going to get the word out? It's going to be younger folks. It's going to be very visual. Um, thinking about you can gather data on Instagram, but make sure that you're doing it the right way. Don't use the same kind of tools you would use on Facebook. Um, and really get into those analytics because it's going to tell you a lot about your followers. You can find out all sorts of information you never dreamed of if you dig down in those analytics. And that's where you might need to have a more of a professional come in or an expert come in and look at those analytics for you and help dig through the layers of them. What about building the audience to begin with so that you've got um, access to the people you're trying to actually get data from? Building the audience. Oh, gosh, now we're getting away from surveys, Merritt. <laughs> now, um, well, I know, but, but uh, let, let's say hard. that um, you've got a new campaign that just uh, broke on Facebook, not that I have, um, <laughs> and uh, you've got a good number of page likes, and uh, but only... Uh, four of them are relevant to your campaign, and the rest are people who just like you in general. Just because they like you, you're such a great person. Uh, exactly. Well, you know, you're going to have to start. Uh, I would say you want to start uh, doing some post testing and doing some testing on content to see what gets shared and what is engaging. You know, focus on those four people that you know you want to be getting to, and the, probably their friends because they probably have friends that are in the same the same mindset. Um, so you're going to have to do some different types of posting, uh, different content, maybe you know with po- photos, without photos, with links, um, different issues that you might want to be testing out, and then you're going to have to dig into analytics and see which you know what kind of content are they are those folks I'm interested in getting sharing, um, and of course you're going to have to engage yourself and get out there and share other folks' content, uh, find brands or people that are like-minded and share their content so that they hopefully will reciprocate. Social media is all about reciprocation and being social um, and get your message in front of, you know, their eyeballs that hopefully it will resonate with and then they'll like you as well. Um, It it really is. It's a lot of work. People don't think that gaining an audience and getting a following is work, but there's a lot of effort and time that goes into it. I think that's an excellent point. We need to go to break. I'm going to put you on the spot, Kim. Will you stay for our fourth segment? Because I think we still have more to talk about. Oh, I'd love to. That'd be great. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. Uh, so uh, come right, uh, uh, stay with us. Uh, we'll be right back with Kim Marks Malone after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When business people think PR, they usually think spin. Good, bad, or indifferent. But spin without a strategy gets you nowhere but lighter in the wallet. 
At Vox Optima, our outcome-based communication is about results, not the ride. You're focused on your bottom line goals, and so are we. From strategic planning to creative design and production, Vox Optima has experts ready to support your requirements today. Also look to Vox Optima for crisis communication, media training, and issue management. Vox Optima is a service-disabled veteran and a woman-owned business with consultants working from coast to coast. Vox Optima ties PR strategy and every last communication product to what your organization needs to be successful. At Vox Optima, you won't be spinning your wheels. You'll be getting results. Strategy, not spin. To make our results work for you, visit VoxOptima.com. That's VoxOptima.com. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to the brand ambassadors to reach our program today please call in to 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 or send an email with questions or comments to brand.ambassadors at voxoptima.com now back to this week's program Welcome back to the Brand Ambassadors. I'm Gary Ponderfield, along with Merritt Hamilton-Allen, and our guest uh, this week, Kim Marks Malone. And uh, today we're talking about the attention span of goldfish. No, that's not not really. Um, We are talking about data and uh, surveying. And um, so, Kim, um, at a certain point, you you just have to say, um, okay, I've done the survey. It's not going to necessarily get everything I need. I actually have to get out out of my chair and go do something uh, face-to-face maybe and do a, a focus group. When and uh, should someone do a focus group, and what's the, what's the benefit? Well, I personally love focus groups because numbers scare me. I love, I love analyzing data and finding out those new and surprising connections between and relationships between things, um, but I'd much rather go and talk to somebody. <laughs> it's much less intimidating. Um, so I think any, I think focus groups are fantastic, and every brand and you know anybody who wants to gather information about what people think about them should do a focus group. Um, of course, focus groups aren't scientific, and you can't say that everything you hear from your six to twelve people in a room is going to um, actually be what you know your whole population would think. But you can get such insightful nuggets of information from a focus group. There's nothing like being able to ask an open-ended question and then be a fly on the wall and to listen to the conversation that ensues um, from that one question you've asked. Um, and what I love about focus groups, too, is if, you're, if you happen to be doing this for a client or for your boss, so you've done your survey and you've got all this information, you've seen how these things relate and you've found out the answers you want to have, um, but it's just numbers. It's hard to relate to numbers sometimes. So you do your focus group and you get 
anecdotes and little human bite-sized nuggets of information that support your findings in your survey. Now, when you go to your boss, your client, you can talk about how this is the way it is. And, oh, by the way, as an example, you know, Bob Smith or, you know, a a gentleman in a focus group in Chicago, um, you know, really drove the point home when he told a story about whatever it is. Um, So it really humanizes your data, and it gives you lots of things to draw on. And sometimes it'll... Sometimes you you get these nuggets that surprise you and and send you off and make you think in a whole new way about the data that you already have gathered. Do you think a focus group uh, should come before a survey? I think it depends on what you're trying to do. Um, If you aren't really sure... Uh, if you're if you're a, a brand, or if if you're a, if you're if you're running for office, Merritt, um, and you just don't know what you don't know, uh, like you didn't know what the issues might be of your neighbors, you weren't aware that they all think differently than you, um, so you really don't know what kind of questions to ask in a survey. Um, if you're not sure what the topic should even be, then do a focus group. You know, if you're a brand and you think you have a problem, you seem to be getting some negative feedback, seeing lots of negative talk on social media about about you, but you can't really lay your finger on what the topic areas are or, or what could be causing it, maybe you do a focus group, bring folks in, talk to them, have a conversation and listen to what they have to say. You're probably going to come away from that then with the issues or the topics or the problem that you can then do a survey to really dig in and get some hard data on to figure out what direction to go. And then, you know, after you do your campaign, or, you know, as you're going through running for office, maybe you um, get those folks back together again and have another focus group to see, you know, am I addressing the surveys? And when I'm giving my stump speeches, am I hitting the topics you want to hear about? Um, or am I off in left field somewhere? Um, so I think you can complement, they complement each other, the surveys and the focus groups. Do you find that there's any danger at all in a focus group that you get the same kind of uh, situation where the, the bias comes up? Where, In other words, the people are trying to, um, I guess, uh, satisfy the leader of the focus group, or, or does that not, is that not a problem? Um, it does come up, and, some, and sometimes this is where the moderator of your focus group is really key and important. It needs to be somebody who's, um, well, once again, depending on the level of, results you want. It's best to have somebody that's moderated a focus group before that understands um, how to ask the questions and how to not inject the bias into the way the questions are asked. Um, Inevitably, you're always going to have, if you get a group of people together uh, and you have one really strong personality in your focus group that talks a lot, other people are going to kind of start to, you'll see that the other people will kind of start to fall in line and the, the array of opinions will start to narrow. Um, and you just have to account for that. Um, the nice thing about a focus group is it's not scientific. You're really just looking for those nuggets, um, that qualitative data. So you can tell if, you know, you're doing your focus group and you've got your transcript. And up at one point, you know, you've got six different very nice opinions. And then all of a sudden, you've got one person who talks for five minutes. And then all of a sudden, all the other opinions are gone. Well, maybe you don't use data after that one point. Um, but because it's not scientific, it's qualitative, you can do that. Or maybe then you just decide you have to do another focus group and get a different variety of people in the room um, and adjust the way, you're, you know, the way you're interacting with them to eliminate that bias. I found out um, in a couple of times I've done focus groups that um, you know, after, after a couple of minutes, they, they kind of even forget you're there. They're, they're engaging with each they other do. on the two different sides maybe of an argument. 
And, and that's the beauty of it. And that's when the magic happens. If you can get somebody in there to moderate it that knows how to ask the question and kind of melt into the background a little bit, be that fly on the wall, um, you can learn a lot of information just by watching the, the interaction and listening to the discussion that happens in the room. And one of my favorite uh, focus groups that uh, I put together while I was in the Navy was when we, uh, uh, the Navy was moving to TRICARE. And what that meant is they're moving from the typical military health care system to a managed care environment. And the biggest change, the single biggest change that was blowing everybody's minds is typical military sick call went away. And that was when if you didn't feel good, you went to the clinic at 8, and everybody got there at 8, and they saw you, you know, in the order in which you signed in. There were no appointments. Well, with TRICARE, there were appointments, and we were having such resistance with people calling, wanting to, with sailors wanting to call the, uh, being willing to call the number and uh, have an appointment to go get seen. Um, we just went, we went two ships. Uh, we, uh, and what was great is at that time, I did not have journalists, Navy journalists working for me. I had Navy corpsmen. Well, Navy corpsmen pretty much know how to call works, right? Uh, and we're able to talk sailor to sailor, and, uh, 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 quite simply, you know, uh, find out why wouldn't you want to just go in at 1045, get seen, and then uh, be on with your day? Why do you want to sit there for four hours? And there, there, and there were some su- surprising comments that came out of that, like, I just didn't feel like going to work today, and I'd rather blow off four hours and sit cold. And I, was gonna say, I knew that was going to be the answer. I knew it. Nothing. <laughs> yeah, you two skeptics. I know you would have believed that, but um, no, it, it really helped us, and it, we were able to take that information back to the call center, and uh, they reworked scripts for folks who were taking appointments to explain you know, to sailors why this was a good idea. Um, and that, was, that was a fascinating time because it was um, such a massive revolution in something that really impacts the days, of, you know, the, the lives of everybody in the military, their families, retirees. We're dealing with a population of 1.500,000 people uh, uh, in Hampton Roads. It was just, uh, uh, it, it was a, a tremendous effort. And the focus groups were the most fascinating part. Um, Pam, any, uh, we're running uh, down to the end of the show. This has been a great one. Do you have any final uh, comments on, uh, on data for our listeners? No, I just think um, embrace the data. So many folks just don't want to dive into it. Um, don't be afraid of the numbers and don't be afraid of finding out the answers because in the end, you really do want to know the answers, even if they're not the ones you want to hear so that you can go out and you know fix problems and solve things and do wonderful work. Fantastic. Uh, we've been talking with Kim Marks Malone, uh, Vox Optima, a data expert and professor of uh, public relations and journalism at the University of Memphis. For Gary Potterfield, I'm Merritt Hamilton-Allen. That's all the time we have this week. We'll talk to you next Friday on The Brand Ambassadors. Thank you for tuning in this week to The Brand Ambassadors. Please join Merritt Hamilton-Allen and Gary Potterfield for another edition next Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.